How y'all doing? Okay, we got one. We got one. Um, man, I love that song. Dang it. Uh, just, just that idea. Uh, I, just, I want to be real sensitive right now to not just uh, jump into a sermon, uh, to be honest. I don't know that I'm always very good at this, but just sensitive that we can just continue to worship and that this would be worshipful. Uh, he is a good, good father. And I love the line, um, and I am, I am loved. I am loved by him. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I love the fact that my identity is defined by, by how God loves me. Um, so I'm calling an audible right now, but uh, man, I would just love to hear from you guys. Uh, so the floor is open. Man, what is a way, if we're a family, what is a way that God has shown up as a good father in your life in the last month of your life? Uh, man, let's just continue in worship in that vein and somebody shout out or raise their hand or just say, man, what is something that God has shown up and done and said, man, he is a good father? <clears throat> Yeah, praise God. How cool is that? Gosh, that's humbling. Um, somebody else. Something that God has shown up and you said, that is a good father. Yeah. No way. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah, he no longer gives a spirit of, of fear and timidity, but a spirit of adoption where we now call out Abba, Father. He is our Father, and that identity we have as Him as a Father takes away that fear when we rest in that. One more. Just something that affirms this crew. Yeah, right here. That's awesome. That's a good dad right there. Praise God. Um, cool. Thanks for humoring me on that, man. I just don't want to, uh, I don't want to shift. I don't want this to be this awkward thing of like, okay, we sing and now is the sermon part. I want us to just be able to continue in worship and, and see uh, what we're singing as something that, man, what are those things we can hold on to and can we think in those, those terms? Um, man, if you guys walked in late or you don't know me, I'm Ben and I, uh, I work here. It's a blast to work here. Um, I uh, get to work with guys like Tyler and there's like, 18 people on staff. I'm not going to list them all, but um, in, incredible, incredible place, incredible church, incredibly imperfect church, but really cool uh, team I get to work with. And last week, uh, we're, we're preaching through the book of Luke. We're talking about Jesus and his mission. And last week, if you were here, I got to talk uh, about what happens in Luke 5. And what happens in Luke 5 is Jesus does some just radical stuff. We see Jesus in action, and he heals a leper. He heals a paralytic on a mat, uh, and then we also see him go and call a tax collector. It's not like a tax collector who like showed up to the church one day and he said, hey, you're going to be my boy. He goes to this tax collector in the tax booth in the midst of this guy just being wicked and deceiving and stealing money from people in the midst of where he was at. And he calls him and he says, hey, come and follow me. You and I are going to be like we're going to be in community together. You're going to be my boy. You're going to be one of my disciples. And so we saw Jesus in action. And it, it for me was this really challenging thing the last week to wrestle with and, and in awe of this compassionate God. Um, we see that Jesus loves the ruined, the person who's ruined. We, we see that Jesus loves the broken, he loves the sinner, and he restores, heals, and accepts them. That's who our Christ is. And so this week, what we're going to see is we're going to see um, Jesus' words. We're going to see Jesus' teachings. And so he's done these miracles, and now in chapter 6, about halfway through, he, uh, he stops and he says, hey man, let me just teach my people. Let me just teach my disciples uh, who I am and the perspective that I have and, and the rules that I'm going to lay down for them. And so that's kind of where we're going. Jesus presents uh, a worldview. 
in what we're going to read, a, a lens to look through life with. Um, and it's a worldview that changes everything. Right? It changes how we see our circumstances. It changes, it should change how uh, I see my enemies. And it should change how we see ourselves, um, just as citizens of his kingdom. Uh, and so that's where we're going. It is, um, here's what I'll tell you about it. It's, it's one of those sermons that Jesus gives, not the one I'm going to give, the one that Jesus gives. Um, it's one of those sermons where he just takes everything people in this culture thought they knew and valued and flips it upside down. It's a reversal of values for, for his audience. And I want to make sure we realize the weight of this, that what we're going to hear are these things that are so counterintuitive, and not just to the New Testament time, but they're counterintuitive for us. We should read them, and unless we've got like our Sunday school goggles on and we've just heard this stuff our whole life and it's just kind of become mundane and the, the heavy words of Jesus don't actually carry any weight because we've just kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, we've heard that and we got the coffee cup and the t-shirt. And if, if we hold the weight of what Jesus is saying tonight, and that's my prayer for you guys, this, this day have, has been praying that, Lord, would your words be weighty and would we feel the weight and the radical flip that Jesus is calling his people to, just a, a flip, where all of a sudden their expectations are one way and he's going to flip it on its head. And that is um, unsettling. I mean, when that happens in our life, it is an unsettling thing. Um, a couple of years ago, I got to lead a mission trip. Uh, I got the opportunity to lead a mission trip to Belize with a whole bunch of college students. There were like 90 college students on this trip. And, uh, and so I'm at the airport and there's just chaos, and it's an airport, and so we're trying to figure things out. And, uh, and I, I remember realizing, I'm, I'm talking to some guys, maybe some interns of mine or something, and we're figuring out logistics, and, and you know, walk, and we got people everywhere, and we're trying to get name tags on stuff and make sure everyone's in the right place and getting checked in and getting their bags settled. And I realized, I don't know where my carry-on is. And so I'm thinking, oh, man, my wife, who, who's also co-leading this trip with me, she probably grabbed it. She probably saw that I left it in the last terminal. She probably has it. And so I glance over, and I see her, you know, kind of doing the same thing, leading some girls, and she's got a bunch of girls around her, and a clipboard in her hand or something, and I see, I see the back of her head, and I think, okay, I'll, I'll ask her. But I'm, I'm in conversation, so I do one of these, right? It's the whole, uh, I'm talking, I'm making eye contact with you. Yeah, well, yeah, man, well, yeah, yeah. But I also need to tell my wife, hey, did you get, grab my bag? So I'm trying to multitask. I'm not good at multitasking, but I try. So I'm engaged in conversation. And then to, to get my wife's attention while I'm trying to wrap things up with old Yakety McYackerson, whoever I'm talking to, <clears throat> I, do the old, I do the old hand on the lower back, right? It's no big deal, right? I'm married. Right? We could do that. But I do the old hand on the lower back, right? The small of the back. My wife has this very nice, just the back right there, not the, <laughs> just right there, PG. So I place my hand there. I do the little, I do the little hey, right? And I'm still talking. The little caress, and it's a little caress, and a, just a little n- nuzzling of my fingers into the small of her back, and it's, in- it's intimate, guys. It's just this moment that we're having, and I'm not even looking, and it's sweet, and I can feel the sparks, and we're married, so this, if you never had the small of the back caress, you know what I'm talking about? If you get married, you'll know. It's an amazing thing. So I'm just like, hey, and so I'm talking, and then I start to say her name, which is Babe, usually for me, and I say, hey, Babe, do you know where my, and then my eyes meet with my intern named Jane. <laughs> you, see, um, you see, it wasn't my wife's lower back. It wasn't the small of my wife's back that I was caressing for those three to four seconds, which felt like an eternity, now that I'm making eye contact with Jane, the intern, who has been paralyzed for the last three to four seconds because Jane feels the lower back, you know, the, and she realizes, I'm not married, this can't be good. And she's thinking, 
she's thinking, I'm going to have to journal about this one day. I'm going to have to tell my future husband, like, this one time I got at the airport, touched my lower back, and it was this sweet moment we had. It didn't mean anything, honey, I promise. It's before I met you. And, uh, and that was it, right? It was the eye contact, and then it was ruined. Man, it was ruined, and it was, I fired her immediately, and uh, we, we canceled the mission trip, and uh, no, no, we didn't do those things. We worked through it. Uh, we worked through it. And Danielle and I are good now. We fought through it too. So praise God for that. Uh, but it's, here's, the, here's the thing, man. That, right? That like, oh, whoa, this, this isn't what I, I thought I was going in a direction, right? I had the, and then it was like, oh, nope, nope. Immediately, immediate 180, right? That picture in your mind, right? If we read, and I know that's silly, right? Like, I know that's silly. Um, but man, if you can take that and you could say, gosh, the, the, the awkwardness of all of a sudden our lives, that multiplied times infinity and the decisions we make and how we're, and the way we're running our lives. And then all of a sudden, oh man, this is something, this is something different. Maybe what's going to happen tonight in your life, prayerfully, I hope what's going to happen in your life is you're going to hear the words of Jesus. And it's going to be a moment where you thought one thing about Christ your whole life. And you thought this is what, and not just about Christ, but yourself and your enemies and your circumstances and where you find your joy. And then all of a sudden, because of the words of Christ and the authority that he has, and the Holy Spirit smacks us in the face tonight, and all of a sudden, we see a 180 and say, God is calling us to something else. This changes my, it changes my worldview and my perspective. That's what happens in, in this section of Jesus' preaching. Um, this is chapter 6 of Luke. But man, it is, there's so much here, there's no way I'm going to cover it all. Just the first eight verses could literally be eight different sermons. Um, and so we're going to take a big scale view over it. But I want to challenge you guys, man, read this through the week. Read this throughout the week. Go back over Luke 6. Also Luke 6, most biblical scholars are going to say, it's the same sermon, just from a different guy's perspective, that Jesus gives in Matthew, the other gospel, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew has kind of a long version of this, and it's really neat to read them together. So, man, I would encourage you, don't just rely on some 30-minute sermon on a Wednesday night and maybe a Sunday morning sermon. Man, I really want to challenge you guys to be digging into this because we're not going to cover it all, but we're going to do a flyby over three huge, just uh, perspective-flipping words that Christ is going to give us, and we're going to see what happens. So um, here's the caution. The caution for the religious in this room, the caution for the believer, the person who showed up, the person who's done the church thing, maybe for a long period of time in their life, is I've heard that before. That's the caution. That is what the enemy is going to use and say, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. This isn't a big flip for me. This isn't, man, I, I stayed up all night last night wrestling with this, and I still find ways that I know I'm not applying what Jesus is saying in my life. And so if you are approaching this from a religious standpoint saying, yeah, yeah, this isn't new news, it's great, I enjoyed the funny story, cute, right, like good music, don't miss it. Don't miss it tonight. And for the, for the person in this room that this is fresh to them, I love that you're here, you're, you're my favorite. To the person in this room who maybe isn't a believer, who hasn't heard the words of Christ like this, who hasn't, and this is fresh to them, it's going to sound crazy. If you're hearing it correctly, it's going to sound crazy. And I just want you to know on the front end of this whole Christian thing, what Christ is calling us to is crazy. 
And it doesn't make sense with the rest of the world. And when it does make sense, and if it does make a whole lot of sense that it matches, then I think maybe we're doing something wrong. So um, just a couple of cautions and just preview for where we're going. All right, uh, chapter 6, verse 20. If you've got your Bibles, we're going. We're going to throw the verses up on the screen, though, too. So if you would prefer just to read along on the screen, um, totally get that. <clears throat> so Jesus stops, he parks himself, and he starts preaching. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Verse 23, it says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe, so we see a shift here, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. There's so much here, guys. Um, Like I said before, this could be eight different sermons. Here's the overarching thing I want to point out and I want us to illustrate in in these first seven or eight verses of, of Luke here. There's a perspective shift. And, and there's something counterintuitive that, that Christ is saying to his disciples. Uh, up to this point, obviously they thought, well, if I'm rich, right? Like if I'm doing really good financially, well, then I'm blessed. So praise God, man. I'm, I've got money, so that's a, the, I'm blessed. If I'm full, then I'm blessed, right? And, and, and there's this kind of perspective that they had that people who are rich, God must really like them. People who are poor, man, they must, have been done, they must have done something wrong, right? We saw it last week with the leper. You know, oh, the leper is sick, so he must have, he's got leprosy. He must have really sinned against the Lord, right? Jesus is taking that, and he's flipping it upside down. And he's saying, no, 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 no. There's a reversal of values, Instead of this rich thing being the value, instead I'm going to say the poor thing is what is a value and what is blessed. And instead of this, you know, being full and being not being hungry and having having kind of this idea of this uh, this immediate gratification, you have everything you want. No, no, I'm going to say the person in want is the one that I see as as blessed and the one that's going to get the gift and going to get real true food and 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 even this idea in verse 22. Um, gosh, this idea that uh, blessed are you when people hate you. Right? Like that's a good, blessed are you when people hate you and and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you and your name as evil. That is, uh, that doesn't make sense. Right? Why would that be a, why would that be a blessing? Um, here's, here's what I want you to hear. These are all circumstantial things. And what Christ is saying is no longer is your joy and your blessing based on circumstances. I'm hungry, I'm, I'm this, I'm loved by everyone, I get everything I want, I'm, no, I'm poor. No longer is it, is it defined by the circumstances in the New Testament time, now it's defined by relationship. It's defined by a relationship rather than just circumstances. The truth that Jesus is adjusting our eyes to is that we don't need this change of circumstance, but we need a change in our relationship with God and our outlook in life. There's two paths that we see, right? There's the blessings and the woes. Um, And I think one of the biggest lies uh, that I buy into uh, in this life is that there is a third path. That there's God's way, 
there's the world's way, and then there's like, honestly, it's Ben's way. Like it's, you know, it's kind of in the middle. Maybe it leans a little towards God some days, a little towards, and there's kind of this neutral that I can stay in. And then maybe I'm not that bad. And yeah, I'm not really like totally submitted to Christ and really walking with him, but um, I'm not doing that bad either. I think that's a trap. I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. This idea that we can just kind of coast. There's either I'm growing in Christ or I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm sinking in sin. I'm becoming more and more enslaved to my sin. And maybe my sin isn't super obvious. So maybe I can't tell for a while. Maybe I think I'm coasting for a while. And because I'm not struggling with things that are really obvious or really embarrassing, then I can kind of, I can coast. But if I'm not growing in Christ, then I'm, then I'm, I'm dying. Uh, sin is winning. I'm either killing sin or it is killing me. Um, and here's the other thing I want us to see in, in this nugget, in this, in this mess of wisdom that God is, is dumping here. God's way, right, this blessed way, it has an eternal perspective to it. And that's huge. Verse 22 and verse 23, he says, you know, rejoice. Rejoice when you're hated on. But then he alludes to this eternal perspective, right? Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. Why would I rejoice, though? Right? Okay, maybe God's going to do something. But really, why would I do that? Why would I rejoice in this suffering? Uh, Why would I rejoice in um, hard things happening to me? Let me, um, let me sensitively, well, not sensitively, if I offend you, that's okay. Um, there is such a thing in this culture called the prosperity gospel, right? The prosperity gospel um, is going to be, and it's going to be subtle. Uh, most people aren't going to have like a sign in front of the church that says, we preach the prosperity gospel here, right? Um, but here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear, hey, you show up to church, man, you go to Wednesday night, Worship service also, right? That's like bonus points if you get like the Wednesday in there also. And you do, you do the right thing. You follow the list and man, God is going to bless you. He's going to give you, you know, the job, the wealth, the, the, the husband, the wife. He's going he's gonna to do these things. Our God is a God who blesses. Our God is a God who loves those who are obedient, right? But when those become our overarching preaching principles where we're saying, hey, come and follow because then you're going to get all these things, that's not in Scripture. In fact, he says, blessed are the poor. So I would love to see how the pastor in Houston, who's built an empire on convincing people to come and to follow and to give and to just do the right thing, so then you'll have lots of wealth too. Where are we basing that? Where are we finding that from? Right? The pastors throughout our, our, my own wicked soul, right? I don't need some pastor on TV to tell me this. My own wicked soul says, man, this has to be a quid pro quo thing, right? I do these right things, and then God, you're going to hook me up. It's not what we see. There is a reversal of values. Maybe our, our joy and our life and our purpose and this blessing that God is giving isn't based on uh, these temporal things, like our immediate gratification or uh, our wealth uh, or how much we are loved here in this world. Um, man, uh, I think it, there's a lot of freedom in it. Um, in, in walking in this way, in walking in a way that says, okay, my circumstances are no longer going to have the power over my joy and over my blessing. No longer am I going to be a slave to uh, what, how my day went or how my year has gone or how my semester has gone or how this relationship... No longer is my joy and my blessing going to be a slave to the circumstances I'm living in, but instead based and rooted in the relationship I have with Christ. We're going to circle back around to that, but I want you to move, move your eyes on to verse 27. 
He says this. Jesus goes on and he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. uh, And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And then verse 32, if you lose those who love you, I mean, excuse me, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But you, but you, but love your enemy and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is insane. Right? Unless we grew up hearing this, Right, Unless we grew up in church and we heard the whole, if somebody strikes you on your cheek, turn the other cheek, and we know that that's Jesus' teachings. Man, imagine hearing that for the first time. The words of Christ, God incarnate, telling us, if someone steals from you, if somebody takes your shirt, give them your coat also. Right, If somebody takes from you, don't get it. If, if, if you're lending to somebody who's, you expect to get back from, then even the sinners do that. Right? Even the sinners love other people that they get along with. This is insane what Christ is calling us to do. And yet, I think somehow we compartmentalize this and say, well, sometimes, but well, not in this case. In this case, we need to, we need to seek justice. Jesus is calling us to a flip, a flip of how we see our circumstances, but also a flip to how we see our enemies. A different upside-down perspective to how we see enemies or others in our life. Man, I got to talk about this a little last week. We talked about this idea that Jesus loves the sinner. He goes to Levi, who's a tax collector, who would have been hated in the culture, and he says, you're going to be my boy, and he parties with him, and he hangs out with him, and they eat together, and he invites the other sinner friends. And one of the big applications for me this whole week from, from that truth of how Christ modeled it was, am I loving people I don't actually like? It's so easy to hang out with people that I like. And the challenge last week was look at your circle of influence. Look at who you invest time in. Look at the people you love. Not the people you're acquired to because of work or what. But look at the people you spend time with intentionally. That you say, I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to love this person. If you like all those people, if you get along with all those people and you, know, you're, you, know, you guys are fine, you like being, then you don't actually need Christ at the center of those relationships. Right? It, if, if we all just get along, then what is, where, where does Christ fit into that? And it doesn't. He's saying, love those people who are enemies to you. That is radical. Man, this is insane, right? But what if, um, man, what if we like, made mission trips to go and like, help ISIS? Right? Hey guys, we're raising a lot of funds. Um, you know, ISIS had some attacks by, you know, UN dropped, dropped some bombs and, and attacked them. And we're going to go and, and we're going to minister to those who got injured. Right? That's insane. 
Right? And I'm not proposing that. That's not going to be our next mission trip. I don't think. We'll run that by Tyler later. Um, I mean, ISIS is unapologetically wicked. I think they are absolutely wicked. I, I pray for the removal of ISIS and the lie and the, they are wicked and they are destroying brothers and sisters and I mean, just the, the refugee problem right now in Europe is because of, of this cancer that's happening uh, in our world. But, I mean, what if we went and said, hey, let's go and serve them somehow. Let's just go love them. And, and by loving them, we'd get out of the bus and get killed, right? That's insane. What kind of a God calls his people to love his enemy? Do we recognize how contrary Jesus is to every other worldview and faith he says, man, lay your life down for these enemies of yours. Give to them. That's insane. How and why in the world would we do that? Why in the world would the person who abuses me, does, I don't like them, they're mean to me, that, why would I do that? Romans 5, verse 10. For if, while we were God's enemies, if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, should we be saved through his life? <clears throat> the truth is, man, we can hide behind religion and I can hide behind my, my track record and my, my self-righteousness. Man, before Christ, outside of Christ, I was an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. That is a perspective shift. If I can't wrap my mind around the idea that outside of Christ, away from him, I am the one who is spitting at God. I am the one who is nailing Christ to the cross. I am the terrorist in the picture. Right? I'm not the damsel in distress who God saved and I was this vulnerable. We, Romans tells us, no, no, you're not the damsel in distress. You were an enemy of God. And yet, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. How and why in the world would I love people I don't even like, much less love people who hate me and rejoice? How, why would I do that? Because that's how I'm loved by this good, good father. Because that is how I am loved by this good, good father. Man, a lot of you guys have heard that before. Has it transformed your life, though? Look at your life. Are you loving people that are hard to love? Are you turning the other cheek? Are you showing grace and mercy that doesn't make logical sense? If you're doing that, then you've got to be walking in Christ. Because to show that level of grace and mercy that, that Luke 6 is talking about, that Jesus is talking about here, to show that level of grace and mercy towards others. Man, I, I'm a pretty nice guy, right? I actually got voted class nicest or friendliest or whatever the heck that stupid award was in high school. Idiots. Um, Whatever, whatever that was, they voted me like the nicest. I'm a nice guy. In my flesh, there's no way. There's no way I'm getting there. Right? Like I can put up with like one guy flicking me off in traffic, but twice and he's in the guardrail. Right? Like that's, there's just a limit to that. But when I recognize how I am loved and recognize, not that I'm loved as like this, man, this guy who, yeah, made some mistakes, but, church, but recognize that, man, God, I was an enemy of God. And because of Christ, while I was yet sinner, him paying that price. Not you got cleaned up. While I was yet a sinner, paying that price. I'm no longer called an enemy of God. There's all these, this new rhetoric used for those who are believers now. Rhetoric like new creation in Christ. And um, man, a, a co-heir, a son of the Father. 
We sing good, good father to a God that I used to stab in the back. And now I can sing good, good father because he loved me first. Man, that's heavy. Um, okay, third, third section. <clears throat> Luke, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them in a parable, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck? This is big. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, When you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Um, Again, I can't say this enough in this sermon. There's so much here. You guys study this this week. There's so much here. Um, But here's, here's what I want you to see big picture. Just fly over. He's changing the rules. We see that, right? Jesus Christ is changing the rules. He's changing how we should see our circumstances and what we see as blessed and not and what we should strive for and what, we, what maybe is, is, is futile and just this temporal thing to strive for. He's changing the rules on how I see others, how I see my enemies, how I see those who persecute me. He's changing, he's changing the rules on how I see myself. Now, how often do I look at someone else's sin so that mine doesn't sting as much? I mean, how often does that happen in my life or in your life? That we look at someone else's sin and think, man, I have my roommate or man, this person or that, I'm not there. And, and we are able to use it, this, this veil of hypocrisy that we've got to know it's there. And we say, man, look at that speck to protect ourselves from really looking at our own sin. And Jesus is holding up this mirror to us. And if it wasn't for Christ who calls us new and who's so gracious and he calls us new, if it wasn't for Christ standing on the other side of that mirror or standing with us, walking us towards this growth, then that would be super depressing, super discouraging. This revealing of our sin that he's saying, look at your own life. Why do we we hide behind the hypocrisy of looking at others? Self-examine. Man, I I don't know your sin. I don't, I don't know all of your sin. I, I know my sin. Well, that's not really even true. I know, um, I know a lot of my sin, um, but I, I think there's a lot of sin in my life that I have yet to really become self-aware of. I think there's a lot of things that either somebody hadn't loved me enough to say, hey, man, you got this blind spot, and it's just been awkward for me to call it out, or there's sin that I'm going to look back years from now and be like, man, I was so immature in these areas. And I, I don't know your sin. But when I look at my sin, And when I look at these words of Christ, and when I look at him challenging me, uh, challenging his disciples, right? These are the ones who are actually following him, challenging the religious, challenging the self-righteous, which I find myself guilty of all the time. I hear him say, take the plank out of my own eye. Take the plank out of your own eye. Tonight, man, I I hope tonight the Lord does just some sweet sweet conviction in your life um, that after the band leads some more songs and we worship that you if, if what's what you need just sit and talk to the Lord for a minute right and say Lord what are those things in my life that you want me to remove 
how am I instead looking at others and I'm, I'm in this comparison trap game and, and I just need to flip that over on its head and no longer look at these other, but instead remove that plank so that I might not hide behind it. And, and here's how. How do we know, right? How do we know what that sin looks like in our life? How do we know where that is? Verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus changes everything. He shows up 2,000 years ago, which was God's ultimate plan through all history. And he, he, he resets these rules. Before Christ, they had this law that they said, hey, you need to be like Christ. And, and they fell short of it. And they said, when you fall short of it, you need to pay a sacrifice. Make a sacrifice in faith that one day I will come and cover all the, all the sin that you can't take care of yourself. And Christ comes and he lives this perfect life. He preaches radical things like love people who hate you, rejoice when they hate you. Gosh, that's heavy. This is a rabbit trail, but when was the last time you felt persecution for your faith? When was the last time you felt persecuted for being a believer? What does that look like? I would say, and I know this is a harsh statement, if you say you're following Christ and you're you're not enduring some persecution, I don't know that you're following Christ. I don't know that I'm following Christ and all of a sudden I look up, not that I'm not saved, but I don't know that I'm really walking with Christ if I look at my life and I think, no, nah, I pretty much get along with the world. I've got, I've got friends, and they get, called, they get called gay all the time because they're not womanizers, right? By, by, that, by that side of this hyper-masculine world we live in. Because they work with people um, who, who every girl that walks into the break room or, or walks down the hall of the hospital and they think, Why, man, would you, and what about this girl? And it's like, no, man, that's, uh, there's, a different, there's a different standard set. Man, my worldview has been flipped upside down by Christ. That's not how I see women. That's not how I want to see women at least. Yeah, I struggle with that, but now I don't want to, no, I don't want to do that. I don't. And they're persecuted, right? And they're called all kinds of crazy stuff. Man, what does that look like in your life? Is there persecution for how you're following Christ? It's hard, man. It'd be so much easier if this was just a Wednesday night where we said, hey guys, thanks for coming. Let me read some scripture over you. If you do this, then God's going to make you rich and and happy in this life. I think being obedient to Christ. Listen to me. I think being obedient to Christ will bring you more joy and life now and forever than anything else. I think being obedient to Christ is where life is found. I think it is walking in the Spirit and the fruits that happen in the Spirit, and looking at myself as a tree and saying, what is, the, what is the fruit that my life is producing? Is it producing good fruit or not? Spend some time tonight saying, Lord, be honest with me. What are those areas in my life? What are the things that I need to pull the plank out? What are the people I'm not loving well? How am I, how am I compromising to the world, and how do I need to change my perspective? Man, let the Holy Spirit reveal some of that to you tonight. And then here's the other thing I want you to hear. If you're in this room and you're checking it out, man, and you got dragged, somebody told you we had draft beer, and you were like, I'll be there, and then you're like, what the crap? There's no draft beer here. You got totally just ganked into this thing. I want you to hear, we're worshiping a good God, a good, good Father. 
a good, good father. He says he came to bring you life. I think it's no accident that you're here. I'm glad you're here at a night where you're getting to hear the words of Christ that are radical, that are bizarre, that don't make sense, that don't match up with what the world looks like. I'm glad you're hearing that. I think surrendering your life and following Christ, I think, not because I'm going to convince you, but I think the Holy Spirit, if you're not a believer in this room, is poking at you saying, yes, trust me. Yes, this is insane. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, this is hard. Yes, there's maybe not wealth and all these worldly things, but yes, there is life in following me. Let me read John 10 over you real quick, and then we'll continue in worship. Man, John 10, Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. All the Old Testament, Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. He is the door. And then he says this in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you're in this room and you desire to meet the good shepherd and you desire to lay down your life to follow this good God, man, I want to talk to you afterwards. I want all of us to be able to do business tonight and say, Lord, how do we love you more? How do we look more like you? How are we more obedient? It's not an accident you're here tonight. So don't ignore these words. Woe to us if we ignore them. Woe to us. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. Thank you for how you love us, Lord. Uh, thank, you for, um, thank you for your grace in Christ Jesus. Um, thank, you that, thank you that we, for some crazy reason, are called your kids, those who put their faith in you. And for those who are still seeking and, and wondering and searching, Lord, would you speak to us through your word? Would you speak to us through your spirit tonight and remind us, who you say we are. God, you, um, you are good, and, and there's so many times where we go to these empty wells to fill us up and these empty wells that we drink from, Father, and it is sand, God, and yet we keep drinking the sand of the world, and, and, and yet, Father, you offer this living water in our life. You offer for us to be able to come and partake in living water, and so, Lord, we pray you would ruin us for anything other than your presence which quenches our thirst. And you would ruin us for all that the world has to offer that we know when we're honest, when we're alone, when the conviction of the Lord comes over us, that it's empty, that it wasn't fun, that it wasn't life-giving. God, would that be from you? Not from song lyrics, not from sermons, but would that be from your Holy Spirit? We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In the name of Jesus.